and who delight to sing your praises for you, God, have lifted us up. We are men and women who, left to ourselves, would simply self-destruct. But through your grace, we have found life, and life more abundantly. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We have lived through this past week and have seen your goodness showered upon us. Yet, Father, many of us face uh, struggles this coming week, serious situations. Father, through that, through the difficult times, you will teach us that you are a good God. Father, we lift up to you this morning those in our congregation who are facing difficult days ahead. I, I think of one who will face serious surgery tomorrow, a Tuesday morning, serious surgery. I pray, Father, that you will be with her and raise her up again to good health. Father, for families who are aching and hurting, some who have received uh, difficult news this week, encourage them, set their feet on solid ground, and I pray that that as leaders of our homes, as men, we would turn to you and, and, and to your word and lead our families. Father, we thank you for what this day means to us. It's a day we mark off, we set aside, that um, reminds us that we are unique people. We are different. We cannot live like the rest of the world. Father, we cannot uh, find ourselves prone to the spirit of this age. We are a unique people called of you, bought for the high price, called out to be holy people, to be light and salt to a dark world. We pray, Father, that you would lead us in that direction. Renew our passions, Father, to evangelize our communities. Father, as a people, as a church, we face uh, important decisions in the coming week. I pray, Father, that you would lead us in those decisions. We pray as we've prayed time and time again, go before us, or we do not want to go. Father, we come now to give an offering to you, a portion of what we have earned. Father, we realize that the ability to live and to work and to make money is a gift from you. We celebrate that. Father, we pray that this uh, offering this morning would be um, an act of worship an act of obedience. And I would pray, Father, that in the coming days you would teach this church what it means to give and to give sacrificially. Father, I would pray that you would take us to another level of giving. Father, we pray for the preaching of the Word today. We pray that you would make our hearts soft and plow up our souls to truth. Change us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn... Uh, to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 4, starting with verse 1. And we'll be getting there in just a moment. I'm, I'm amazed how often God uses emptiness in the Scripture. You know, Job was one of the greatest men of all the people in the East, the Bible says. And yet there came a time in his life when he said these words, I was naked, when I was born I'll be naked when I die. The Lord gives. The Lord is the one who takes away. Blessed 
be the name of the Lord. And then we have uh, Naomi, who was Ruth's mother-in-law, who had gone over to Moab with her husband and her two sons, and her sons were sickly, and they died, and her husband also died. And she brought back her daughter-in-law, Ruth, with her, and she said, the Lord has brought me back. Empty. Emptiness. Often it's in the Scripture, and it's in the Scripture today. And I'd like you to read with me as I read verses 1 through 7. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Now let me just hold you for a moment there and say to you that her husband was not a prophet but was a son of a prophet. And if you were to study back in 1 Kings, you would come to this man who was her husband. His name was Obadiah. And it wasn't the Ob Obadiah that's a, one of the minor prophets. It was a man, Obadiah. And he was in charge of King Ahab's house. We all know King Ahab was a wicked king. And he had a wicked wife whose name was Jezebel. And Obadiah served. He was in charge of the house. Now, what he had done, he was not a wealthy man, nor did he have a wealthy family. What he had done was he had a great heart for the prophets. And Jezebel was continually trying to kill them. And so there were, there were a group of a hundred that were 50 in two different caves, and that's what Obadiah did. He supplied the food for them. And to supply the food, he had to borrow money. Obadiah had borrowed the money and had put up his sons, his two sons for collateral, to make that deal in, in order to feed the 100 prophets. Uh, that's the situation. Verse 2, so Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? How can I solve this problem? Uh, tell me, what do you have that's in your house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing, emptiness, nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Just a jar of oil. That's all she had. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, everywhere you can find. Go find vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty. There it is again. Empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now she started with a jar. I'm assuming vessels would hold a larger quantity. But she begins to pour from her jar, that little jar with some oil in it. She begins to pour it. And uh, now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And her son said to her, there is not another vessel to be filled. All of them have been filled. And it's at that time that the oil ceased. So then she came and told the man of God, Elisha, that she had, what she had done, she'd followed the orders and she had all these vessels that were full of oil. And Elisha said, go sell the oil and pay your debt first 
And then you and your sons will live on the rest. A pretty good retirement amount of money for her and her sons. Another lady who was completely empty. She had no husband, no food, no money, no income, no prospects, no security against the loan except for her sons. And Elisha, through the man of God, filled the vessels and solved the situation. So I have a thesis today for you, and that thesis is this. If you're not experiencing God's presence and provision in your life, the problem could be, I'm not saying it is, but the problem could be that you're not empty. You're not empty enough. We take journeys with Jesus, and we see that all the time he, again, was dealing with empty people. He found himself in a situation with Philip in which they had 5,000 hungry people to feed. They had nothing with which to feed them. And Philip was probably a lot like us. He got out his calculator, crunched the numbers, and said, it's impossible, Jesus. We can't take care of this problem. It's impossible. Jesus said, sit down. Put them in groups, and I will demonstrate to you what I can do when I have nothing. I don't know if you know a man by the name of Richard Firmbread, but he was a minister who suffered through 14 years of solitary confinement in Bucharest, Romania, all because of his faith. And there were other Christians in solitary confinement with him. There were 11 or 12 guys, probably eight or nine of them were Christians. He was the only minister there. And they were so desperate for some kind of Christian fellowship, they found out that they could tap Morris code messages on the sewer pipe. And that's how they fellowship for years and for years and for years. The guy said, we have a great desire to, to have communion. We would like to be able to have communion. But Firmbread said, I have nothing to give you. I have nothing that I can get to you. And so he came up with a plan whereby on the sewer pipe, by tapping out with Morse code, he said, this is my body. This is my blood. Christ is here with us. And Firmbread said they became some of the most sacred hours of communion he'd ever experienced in his entire life. He was released after 14 years, and two or three years later, was brought to a Christian bookstore in Bucharest and shown all the Bibles and all the Christian literature that was there. Then he was taken downstairs to the basement to where they had all of the Bibles stored. Hundreds and hundreds and to thousands of Bibles. And Firm Bread said, wait a minute, this place is familiar. This is where I spent 14 years of my life in solitary confinement. Now it's stored the words of eternal life. There again, God took nothing and made it into something. He provided the word of God to people in Romania. But I'd like to take a little bit of time and look at some practical principles or lessons that we might learn from running on empty. Four or five things, and, and if you're jotting down notes, I'll, I'll go slow, but there are, only, there are only five that I'm gonna share with you, and they'll go rather rapidly. But the first lesson on running on emptiness is this. Emptiness is a gift from God. Emptiness is a gift from God. All of us who were unbelievers and who have now come to Christ have realized that. You see, 
Everyone is created for fellowship with God, but there's a problem, and that problem is the sin problem, and the sin problem is what breaks our fellowship with the Holy God. That hole or that emptiness has been there since the fall. You've probably heard many people state this. There's a God-shaped vacuum in all of us that can only be filled with a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's an emptiness there. Man cannot and will not find it in themselves and through their independence. They can only find it through God. You see, we're all spiritually dead, dead in our trespasses in sin, and we all need to come to the Savior and find Him to be our own personal Savior. So you see, first of all, it's a gift. Were you not empty? I remember the, the night at 19. I was 19 years of age when I came to Christ. I know how empty I felt. I know how lonely I felt on the inside because everything looked cool. I'd made all state in basketball. I thought I was King Kong. But there was a real depth of emptiness in, within me that cried out, you haven't got the answers, buddy. You may think you do, but you don't have the answers. Emptiness is a gift. It's a gift from God. It, number two, it means that I have a need. If you're empty, when I'm empty, it means that I have a need. And if we're empty, we got to be empty of something. The woman at the well, do you remember her in John 4, 4? Or chapter 4? She asked, where do I get that water that when I drink it, I'll never thirst again? And Jesus, after much conversation, said, I am, I am he, I am the Messiah. I am the answer. I am the one who turns your, your thirst around. I'm the one who comes into your life. In our text, the woman to the prophet said, I have nothing here at all. And you saw how he, she, she got her vessels filled up. The prodigal son, which Jimmy preached on for a long period of time, finally came to his senses. What was he? Empty. He had a need. He squandered everything. He was down eating with the pigs, slopping with the hogs, and finally said, I'm so empty, I'm going to go back to the Father. And he returned to the Father. If you're empty, it means that you have a need. It's a good sign. It's nothing, there's nothing wrong at all with being empty spiritually. You can, get, you can get turned on. You can get full with God. Now, a third thing about emptiness is you and I, we may not be empty enough. We really may not be empty enough. Now, who decides that? I think God does. I think God decides when we're empty enough. But the widow could have had a lot more oil, you understand if she'd just got more vessels. When they started pouring the oil to it, the oil would have gone and gone and gone and gone until it was filled, like, like in our, our narrative. But she was limited by her emptiness because she didn't get all the empty jars she, she could have gotten. And that same thing sometimes happens to us. We don't get empty enough. In the 17 years that I've been in ministry, I have been called upon to counsel. I do part-time counseling here. I've, I've done it in the other churches that I have served. 
One of the things that I've discovered in dealing with people's problems is directly in this principle. And I'm speaking about the problems that would lead them to addiction or to a stronghold or to bondage in their life, and you name what it is. It could be alcoholism, substance abuse, pornography, lie, cheat, any of those things that become addictions in the person's life. I have found this to be true, not in most of the cases, but in all the cases. Those people cannot be helped until they've fallen low enough that they become empty. As long as they have a thread, you can see it in their eyes when they talk to you one-on-one -on -one and you ask to talk to them about their addiction and, and say, are you ready now to go out? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go out. I think I've got it whipped. You can see it in their eyes. They haven't fallen low enough. And yet, I've seen and probably you've seen if you've ever worked with people in encouragement or counsel, that when they empty themselves, when they let it all go, God comes in, in a way that's a miraculous way to do wonderful things for them. You see, principle number three is we, we may not be empty enough. I don't know if you have ever read the books on, of, of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Yeah, there's seven in this series. And this one is called the, uh, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And it's, it's really a good book. Uh, it's about a spiritual journey that they're all on. They're on the Dawn Treader, which is a ship. And uh, there is a couple chapters that really drew my attention because they involved Eustace, a young boy, and Aslan, who is the lion. Not the Lion King, but he's the lion. And he rep represents the son of the emperor. To us, he represents Jesus. And the boy Eustace is a, a young boy that's a sinner who's lost. And on this voyage, they're trying to lead them all to find the emperor, emperor's son. But Eustace gets so much into his strongholds and into his bondage and addictions that he turns into a dragon. Yeah, he turns into a dragon. And he sees himself in the pool and he hates himself for what he's turned into because of his sin and he wants to get out from under it. So he begins to take his scales off. And so he peels it off and drops it down and looks in the pool and he looks the same way. And he peels it off again. The same thing happens. The third time, and he's the same guy. He can't get rid of that which has got him in bondage. And then comes Aslan, the lion. And Aslan tells him to, to turn over on his back in front of the pool. And so Eustace does, this boy who's become a dragon. He's on his back looking up. And Eustace says, when the claws got a hold of me, they, at first they were very painful. It felt like it was going to go all the way through to my heart. But then he peeled it off, the Lion King, or, As or Aslan, and threw it down. And I began to feel different. 
And then he took me and threw me into the pool. And I, as I swam around, some of the pain that I experienced went away. And then he said, come out. And I came out and turned and looked back into the pool. And I was a boy again. And Aslan said, come to me. Let me clothe you with the righteousness of God. You see, Eustace had a need. He got it peeled away, all the sin, all the stronghold, all the addictions, all the bondage of his life. And he became a, a young boy again. Three, we may not be empty enough. The fourth one is this. We must admit our emptiness, which kind of falls in line with the third one a little bit. But we've got to admit that we're empty. Why do we think we need to try to fool God anyhow? We can, but we have to admit. Um, you know, the church of Laodicea and Revelation 3, what did they say? They said, we have become rich, wealthy, and have need of nothing. And that was true. That was the richest church. They did have everything. They had all kinds of wealth. But Jesus really wasn't talking about things. He was talking about their spiritual condition. When he re retorted back to them, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you might be rich. That you anoint your eyes with eye salve so that you can see. He said, you need help. You need help and you need to admit that you're empty. See, we need to be like that deer in Psalm 42 where it says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so does my soul pant for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. Are you like that? Does your soul thirst for God? Uh, our pastor challenged the, the staff a month or so ago about our quiet time. And uh, he really put some zingers on us. You know, he's, what are you doing? What are you doing for quiet time? You know, what are you doing? So each one of us responded and uh, he nailed me pretty good. I told him I was doing such and such passage and uh, it was helping me in my teaching of the class that I was teaching. He said, wait a minute, that's not devotional. He said, you need to be panning for, the, for the, like the streams, like this deer running, running from the enemy. You need to be panning for God. And you know, he was right. He was absolutely right. I told him last week, I said, that's one of the best things that anybody has ever done for me. To correct me and show me that I needed to be panning for God. I needed to be empty so that I could be full of all, of all that God wants to give to me. The last one is this. It's only God that can fill our emptiness. I think you probably know that by now. God is the only one that can fill up the emptiness that we have in our spiritual lives. He is the only one. And if you follow Jesus through the gospel, again, you see the empty people that he was interested in, and you come to one where he is dealing with Peter. And Peter is fishing, you remember the account, he fishes all night, catches nothing, all the sweat, all the toil, nothing comes to him, and then he catches Jesus' eye. And Jesus says, have you caught anything? He said, no. 
Jesus said, cast your net to the other side. Didn't make sense to Peter, who was a professional fisherman, but he did it. You see, the bankrupt, empty person in that boat was Peter. He was down on himself. His self-esteem was shot. And yet when he put the net on the other side, he caught a load of fish. Because God took nothing again, emptiness again, emptiness in the believer, and he made something wonderful out of it. And we have the marvelous confession from Peter. Depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me. Now, we've been talking about empty. We've been talking about full. Let me tell you what I think happens, or let me tell you what happens to me when I am full. And, and it, really, it really is just the opposite, because I, I desire to be empty. I hope, you, I hope you do too after hearing this. But when I'm full, here's what I get full of. Me. I get full of myself. Hey, things going pretty cool. I'm pretty good. I get full of myself. Pride enters in. Spiritual pride it talks about. It's so easy to get spiritual pride. It happens to me. I'm sure it happens to some of you when you get full of yourself. Arrogancy. Arrogancy. Don't you dislike the basketball games when the guy makes a good shot and starts pounding on their chest like it's me? I guess that's what he's saying, isn't it? You know, look what I just did. You know, get the ball to me. It's me. It's me. It's me. No, it isn't. The arrogance that comes in. The independence that I can handle life. Who needs God? He saved me. That's all I need. The arrogance. The fullness. See, the bad fullness that comes into our life. And it reaches to the place where we get in control. When you're empty, you're submissive. You say, I give. I surrender all. I desire to be humble. I'm yielded. I'm dependent upon God. And here's another word that's just really hit me hard of late in my devotional time. Abandoned. I'm abandoned to God. You see, I know what abandonment means. And believe it or not, it's a, bas it's a basketball term. Our coach in college used abandonment all the time. He said you have to play the game with relaxed abandonment. You know what that meant? I can remember, and we played before big crowds. Gosh. I'd get self-conscious. I'd know where my girlfriend was sitting. I'd know where my parents were sitting. If I made a bad pass, I'd see the, the coach's sigh. I was not abandoned to the game. I was all caught up in myself and how I might look and what the newspapers are going to report the next day. I had no relaxed abandonment. But when I accomplished it, it would turn my game around. And the game would be over. I, knew, I didn't know how many shots I'd taken. I didn't have any ideas how many rebounds I'd got. I didn't know what, I didn't know anything that happened. I was totally focused on that 94 by 50 slab out there that's called a basketball court. Everything was gone. I was totally abandoned. Webster says to abandon is to give up, to surrender all interest, to forsake 
to discard, to renounce. And when you're spiritually empty, you can now yield yourself totally abandoned to God. I desire that for my life. You know how I found that, the scripture to say you accomplish that? I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in, live by faith, live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. To be totally abandoned to God. You see, what will happen is the great physician will begin to cut away all that stuff that gets hooked up into us, which the Bible calls flesh. He'll start whacking away. He'll start doing surgery. And he'll cut out the strongholds. He'll cut out the bondage. He can even cut out the addictions. And we, we become completely abandoned to God. You know what the proof is that God loves us? Because he lays us on that cross with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. And I think we need to be empty. We need to be led to that real and con constant practice of dying to self. Dying to the self-life. And we must, by permission... Allow the great physician to cut into the fleshly part of us that clings to us. And then we'll get full of all God has for you and me. Hmm. Five points. Running on empty today? I hope you are if you're running on it for the right reason so that you can be full of all God wants to give you. May we pray. Well, our Father, we thank you that there are so many examples in your word, in your scripture, where you came to fill empty people. You absolutely filled them up, just like the widow. And Lord, you'd even filled her more if she'd have been empty more. And God, I pray that you speak to us all today about the, the spiritual emptiness of our, our lives. And as we allow you to cut away from the flesh all that stuff that gets in our way, that you then will fill you with all of yourself. So I pray for the man, the woman, the boy or girl who may be struggling with one issue or another, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the convictor, the teacher, that you would speak to their hearts and tell them all they got to do is give up. All they got to do is abandon and get total focus off themselves and on the one who loved them and died for them. Thank you, God, for providing in Jesus Christ so, so wonderful a Savior. Thank you for coming into our lives and giving to us abundantly. Now, Lord, speak through the time of invitation. Minister through the time of invitation. And we'll give you praise glory and honor, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.